gentlemen, thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the Internet Movie Database's top 250 films of all time. Try, trying out a new intro, you know, seeing how it feels. It sounds uh, fancy. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm your host, Tyler Hannon, by Night Night Podcast, but by day. By day, I arrange, design, and sell shrubberies. You might not think that there's a big shrubbery market out there, but with the changing seasons and all, people are really looking for the right kind of shrubberies to really set off their homes, their bridges, their castles that look weirdly exactly like every other castle in the area for some strange, not movie-related reason. Uh, there is no Kayla today. She's not here. She's, you know, uh, she lost her legs and she can't quite make it to the table, so I'm just going to be pointing and laughing at her. That's a lie. I put her in timeout because the Chris Corner went on too long last time. Just like this intro. <laughs> Just like this intro. And that person here laughing is our guest. Uh, unlike Kayla, she was able to make it. Despite despite the many flesh wounds she suffered and the fact that her mother's a hamster and her father smells of elderberries. It's Eva Friedman! Hey! She's back! It's me! And you made it through that whole intro! I did! <laughs> I didn't suffer that badly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was pretty torturous, but I imagine the many flesh wounds uh, kept your mind off it a little bit as you nurse yourself back to health, regrowing No, it doesn't hurt at all. And, yeah. It doesn't does hurt take, at all. How I'm long does it take to regrow a limb anyway? We will find out soon. <laughs> Hopefully soon. We'll see. Maybe by the end of the podcast. <laughs> All right, Eva, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we're going Always. to talk about a movie that people might have already guessed due to certain uh, quotes that we might have referenced. But first, we got to talk about things we've seen recently. And uh, Eva, what have you seen recently? I have been in a very deep love affair with two television shows, um, the first of which is Winona Earp. It's a new series on sci-fi. I think Friday night was the eighth episode, so we've, we're already past the halfway point for the season. Um, it's based off a great comic book um, that they've adapted for television. They've added new characters and stuff, and um, one of the characters is um, Officer Nicole Hot. Like, they literally named a cop Officer Hot, and it's it's taken my dark, dried-out soul and just replanted the seeds of growth <laughs> and it's listen the show has given me like a new life like coming off the backs of all of like the dead women on television and everything like there was a great article that said this is like winona earp is hashtag two females like biggest savior and it's true like all of the villains are like these gross evil old white men and like all the women do like all the handiwork and everything wait wait so this show is two female but they still let it go on television Oh, it is way too female, which means it's perfect. Like, it's it's on... Like, sci-fi does a really good job, I think, given, like, the circumstances of what genre they cater to and everything. Like, they also had Lost Girl and everything, which, by the way, uh, the showrunner for Winona Earp comes from the Lost Girl camp. So if you liked Lost Girl, there's literally no reason why you shouldn't be watching Winona Earp. Um, it's just, it's so much fun. Like, I love it. There's, it's, it's just great. Like, you have to just watch it. It's funny. It's goofy. There's action. It's got everything. Like, as I'm talking about it, my hands are just, like, covering my face because I'm so overwhelmed by how much I love it. 
I gotta say, I since my favorite television podcast ended, I've been a little behind on TV, and I had not heard of this show. Oh my just, god! Like right now, you didn't even talk about it before the podcast. I had no I've idea. Been, Tyler, I've been tweeting about it. I only see like half the tweets in my feed. I follow too many people. I forget to check it. I, you know, I I depend way too much on the what your friends have been talking about recently section. Well, wait, wait, wait. I should credit given where credit is due. So I don't know how she found it. Actually, that's a lie. I think I do know. I'm just not remembering. But very dear friend of mine, Morgan, she told me to watch it before she had even seen it. And I felt like like it was the equivalent of being shot out of a cannon, how quickly I fell in love with this show. And like I fell hard like, 12-year-old girl having her first crush hard. Um, <laughs> this is, like, it's just, it's so great. Like, the whole, so the whole, like, mythology of the show is basically that, you know, there are, oh, shit, I just remembered what word I have to say, and you're going to go off on a tangent. So they have demons that they call revenants. I don't know what you're talking about. And, okay, let's just move you know, past it. You <laughs> know, Revenant, Revenant was a word before that movie came out. It was a word, a noun that described, that stood for things that weren't DiCaprio related. So anyway, I'm going to bottle cap your tangent real quickly. Um, so they, so there are these Revenants and the only, because of like a family long curse in the Earp family, Winona ha- is the only person that can fire the only gun that can send them back to hell. So she's on a hunt to kill like the seven people that killed her, the seven Revenants that killed her sister. It's, it's hard for me to follow the plot sometimes because I'm so distracted by how much I love the characters and the cast. It's, but it's just like, it can get pretty gory and gruesome. Like in the first episode, like there's like a severed tongue, but it's Ooh. like, it's, it's just so good. It's so much, it's fun television. And like, I feel like so much of the television out now, right now in the quote unquote golden age is stressful TV. And it's really nice to have something that's just fun. You're, you're kind of over antiheroes. Is that what you're saying? Oh, this is, well, no, that's not what I'm saying. Winona is an antihero. Oh, okay. Like, big time. But, like, grim men making hard decisions about well, life yes, and that stuff. Well, yes, that I'm very much over. And <laughs> um, it's it's just gotten so, like, tired for me. And, like, it's also, like, I'm at a point right now where I watch television to escape. And I don't always want to be you know, crying for an hour and a half after I watch an episode of something. So you're not watching like, Game of Thrones tonight? I am not watching Game of Thrones ever. <laughs> there, I That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes, and, yes. But it's like, and it's funny because my second recommendation is a much more stressful television show. But sometimes it's nice to just have like something fun and that you put on and you just genuinely enjoy and like you do feel things for these people like i'm not saying it's not like an emotional show but it's just not like stressful it's not trying to ruin your day exactly and it's fun and uh, there's a character literally named officer hot like what like i don't know what else i need to tell people to get them (laughs) on board with this show like 
the gay lady cop is Officer Hot. Like, what? It's literally like someone found like my high school journal and made a TV show out of like my greatest and wildest fantasies. <laughs> That's what I said about the movie, the can movie, The Handmaiden. About lesbian, it's like a <laughs> lesbian right. revenge thriller. I was like, Eva. <laughs> well, there's also there was also a movie that I found on Netflix, like in the bowels of Netflix, called Avengers Grim. Oh, and yeah. it's like this. I think I told you guys about this, and I live tweeted it because it was just so amazing. But it's like Disney princesses that come to like New York City or wherever it is to like kill Rumpelstiltskin or something crazy like that, and it was just ridiculous in the best way. Wait, wait. So that not only is that movie because it came out the time around the time of Avengers: Age of Ultron. Not only is it trying to hop on that, it's also blatantly trying to hop on the grim TV show train. Well, and then thirdly, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, but it, like it's called Grim. It's Avengers Grim. It's like right it's, there in the name. It's just so. Oh. But that's another recommendation for another podcast because <laughs> my second show is also very important. Okay, what is that second show? So, first of all, hashtag Renew Winona Earp. Like, everyone start watching that. If there's one thing you do for me, help me get this show renewed because it is the light of my life. It is the nightlight ripping through my wicked world. Now, second show is Unreal. Um, it's a 10-episode show that is... I've heard such I, good things about this show. Yeah, I pretty much exclusively love it. Um, it's I don't know that I would say that it's satire, but it's definitely commentary on the culture revolving around like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Um, one of the things that I'm almost hesitant to even bring up because I think it deters a lot of people is that it's on Lifetime. And I don't understand how Lifetime landed this show because it gets dark and it's heavy and it's very well acted and well written, and that's just so not in line with anything Lifetime has ever done. It sounds kind of like Mr. Robot being on USA or something like that. Like, I, Which reminds me that I still have to watch Mr. Robot. But yeah, I don't know. I would love for this to start a trend of solid programming on Lifetime, because I think Unreal actually talks about a lot of really important things that we're not necessarily seeing. But it's, you know, the story basically centers around the people who work behind the scenes, the producers, and how they push people and make these terrible decisions because they know it's going to make, quote-unquote, good television. And what's so good about it is they, or what what's so clever about it is that because it's centered mostly around the people behind the scenes, every year or every season they can refresh the cast because it's a new television season for them. But you still have that core group of characters that you care about. So you don't, oh, you're not necessarily sad that you're losing people. And the show is still always going to feel the same, but it's always going to be refreshed. Speaking of which, I've heard they're doing something with the second season that The Bachelor itself has never done, which yeah. is having a black bachelor? Yeah, it's, I'm very excited about it. Um, the showrunners spoke a lot about how, you know, they made sure that. The people in their writing room who weren't white really got to step up and, you know, take the lead with the, with this story and everything. And based off what they did in the first season, I have, you know, very high expectations that it's going to be good. The first season talked a lot about mental illness in various settings, you know, from, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, depression, 
anxiety, all that stuff. They really showed a lot of colorful versions of that. And I, I trust this show to do any story justice. And that's saying a lot after a 10 episode season. Yes, I really need to catch up with that, especially with the second season coming, because I've only heard incredible things about it, like on every on Twitter, on podcasts, from friends, including on this from a friend on this podcast. Ah, oh, it's all coming together. That's me. <laughs> That's you. That's me. <laughs> That's the thing you just did just now. You and talked I about did, the thing, and then you called me a friend because I talked about the thing. I mean, I would have called you a friend anyways, but. I mean, talking about the thing certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a good thing to talk about. Um, Shiri Appleby is incredible. Uh, Constance Zimmer is incredible. The rotating, you know, the people that won't be on the season on season two were incredible. Uh, so the contestants, I would say, were great. Um, it's they there were a lot of twists in that first season, and what's so incredible to me about it is that it was a ten episode season. And the pacing was incredible. Nothing felt rushed. Someone would do something, like someone does something in episode five, and you really don't see the full consequence of that until like two or three episodes later. Like it was so amazing to me how everything had time to breathe in, you know, in 10 episodes. It's, I think the first season is magnificent. And you know, that actually reminds me, I was, that actually cha- affects my recently watched because you've reminded me of, because you've reminded me of something else I watched recently, but. Did you, did you just have a hairball? Yes, I did. Was, was, how did you just turn into a cat? I, you know what? I think the problem, I was looking at the cat and I just, ugh. ugh that, it was the, contagious. The hatred and the bile just rose in my throat and I just yeah. couldn't contain it. Uh. Yeah, they're all right. They're all right. Uh, so anyway, what 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 have you watched? Tell me tell me about your endeavors. On this podcast, on this this venerated podcast, we take deep dives into movies from the past, you know, oh, and really look back on film history and how it has brought us forward to this day. But now I'm going to talk about a movie that just came out this weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is Shane Black's The Nice Guys. Uh, so I have been very much looking forward to this movie. It is the first movie for Shane Black since Iron Man 3, which personally I feel gets way too much uh, vitriol. And I, I agree with that. People are way too down on it when I think it does a lot of the things that they love so much about Guardians, where it feels different, like it feels like a different story. Like it's not, it's not Shane Black's fault that they completely kind of brush over most of the stuff he has happened in that movie i like that i just it bothers me that that movie gets thrown out so much for everything else i think it's really clever i completely agree i i very much enjoy iron man 3 that being said god i love the nice guys it is so so uh let me uh without devolving into it's just so good you guys i'm gonna throw out a couple <laughs> things uh so this movie uh star it's a seven it's like a 70s noir buddy cop shane black joint uh that stars ryan gosling and russell crowe the trailers for it have been pretty incredible ryan i some people weren't sure that ryan gosling could pull off comedy which 
granted, I have remembered that Ryan Gosling was my Chris Evans um, <laughs> for years before he took a break for a year and broke my heart. Uh, I think he is he is my everything. But he is legitimately hilarious in this movie as a skilled but a skilled detective, but a total fuck up and a terrible father. Well, what's is... so what's so not to like interrupt, but what's so funny to me about people not thinking Ryan Gosling could handle comedy is that I think he's hysterical and remember the Titans. Oh man, I, see, I was going back to like crazy stupid love. But, See, I did not like that movie, but I think he it's was not like a good movie. I thought I thought he was just so funny and remember the Titans and whenever people like talk about him I'm like can we talk about like who he was and remember the Titans like the small like gangly country music loving white boy like it's it's hysterical. Like I don't know how we got from point A to like point B where we're at with him now, but because anyway, continue. I just he, I just had to get that off my chest. Well, I think not only is he really talented, he has been successful enough that he's able to seek out opportunities that let him uh, kind of diversify what he's able to be on screen. And Absolutely. also, he's clearly pretty intelligent about what he's doing. Um, he seems to be someone who's actually thoughtful and may, maybe not deserving of all the meme love we throw on him, but probably, probably. Yeah. Uh, so he is truly hilarious in this movie. He's an incredible actor. Also, I don't love Russell Crowe, but yeah. as like this hulking bruiser who is like the uh, who is like the epitome of effective and but with a little bit of thoughtfulness to him, he's really good. He's so good in this movie, and he has totally unexpected well unexpected before i started seeing trailers for this chemistry with ryan gosling i wa i even watched some of the they went to like couples therapy for like these teasers for the movie and like ah oh, man they, they between the shane black script and these actors kind of living and breathing that script and really crushing it it is an incredible experience. The plot is really loose, and there are definitely some holes that I noticed even in my first watch. But he, they nail the characters, and it's so, so funny that I'm willing to forgive it a little bit for the fact that sometimes it doesn't really make sense. And see, you you just totally convinced me to go see it. I had no interest in seeing this movie oh, okay. before you just opened your mouth. The big See, all that stuff I kind of expected or hoped for what surprised me is that the daughter of ryan gosling's daughter plays a huge role in this movie not his actual daughter obviously well um, i wasn't which, sure where you yeah, were going with that. i'm sure i'm sure there was some confusion about that but uh, yes. let me find her name her name is andre rice i'm not sure about that andre rice she plays his daughter and as is often the case of kind of in movies like this with fuck up fathers. She is a precocious wise beyond her years child um, who kind of, who is very, who is smart and probably a little more debt daring than she should be. But this movie that looked like a buddy comedy is more like this trio kind of figuring out this mystery and her, her relationship with her dad, Ryan Gosling, turns out to be a much stronger uh, kind of um, t 
ten, uh, the the, the kind of like the emotional mm-hmm. weight of the movie is a combination of their relationship and then Russell Crowe kind of like finding the humanity within himself. But it doesn't go too heavy handed on either, and it doesn't do it in ways that aren't earned. Uh, I, I just was incredibly surprised by her. She's probably thirteen years old, and yet she is really stealing scenes from these two excellent actors who are excellent in this movie. I I just found it uh gave the it lent the movie just another thing in its favor and some uh some things that I wasn't totally expecting from it even with my high hopes. It uh it's really it's a blast. It is so much fun. Yeah, I've seen you tweeting about it, like, nonstop, both before you saw the movie and after. And before you saw the movie, I was like, I really don't care about seeing this. And then after, I was like, all right, maybe I'll check it out, like, in a few months. And now listening to you talk about it, I'm like, maybe I'll check it out in a few weeks. (laughs) So I'm getting closer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even, so, like, there's a lot of, like, sex and stuff in it, because, like, it's, like, these, this 70s stylized sex porn through. I I can't see it. My mom won't let me. I'm sorry. Oh, man, that's such a bummer. I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to see things with sex. But, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's nudity in this movie, Eva, beware. I, I don't, sadly, sadly, it's not Ryan Gosling, although that might be more of a me thing than a you thing. I think that's definitely more of a you thing. I can that so everyone's been talking about like Chris Evans and stuff and I still haven't seen Civil War but like I saw the clip of him of like the money shot with him holding the helicopter and I was like damn straight I'm gay because I felt nothing (laughs) I was just looking at it I was like all right that's cool the rest of the internet's freaking out he was just like Dude, who cares? Yeah, I'm I'm just like, but can we talk about that clip of, like, Scarlet Witch in the oversized jacket and the plain hat? Like, that, I care way more about that than Chris Evans' bicep that probably weighs more than my entire body. Oh, man. And also, Matt Bomer has some fun in this movie with a terrible haircut. But, yeah, it's just... You, it's... you should have led with Matt Bomer. I like Matt Bomer. Yeah, Matt Bomer... Now he... I want to see it. He's uh he he doesn't get a lot to do. He's pretty kind of silent, but he's got a terrible haircut and it, it it's it, he's a lot of fun and some shootouts and all that. But yeah, it's just god, so many jokes in this movie of like there's the phys- the physical humor, especially from Ryan Gosling is incredible. The jokes really on point. The dialogue is killer. Uh there's certain situational absurdities that happen. I just God, it's just the funniest movie I've seen, and that includes like Deadpool and Keanu that came out this year. I just, it is so much fun. So that is my, I don't even know, soliloquy, my sermon, my my praise for the nice your, guys. Your love letter. <laughs> my love letter to Ryan Gosling and whatever movie he's been in last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, he took a break from make from being in movies to like direct a movie and also because Only God Forgives broke him. And I'm just really happy to have him back. Yeah, and then there's La La Land also. Oh, from the director of Whiplash. But you might yes. be able to watch this one because presumably there is not a hyper-abusive drum teacher in it, which is a very particular thing that... Yeah, well, I also got to watch it because I was an extra in it, so I got to, like, get... Yeah! Bearing the lead, you were an extra in La La Land? 
Yeah, I wasn't, um, like, you probably won't see me, but yeah, I was there. Oh, Eva, if you are in that, if, we will find you. I will I don't go back to that theater. <laughs> I, over and over if, again. If you, oh my god, I shouldn't even say this. If you can find me in that movie, it'll be the second movie that's gonna come out in 2016 where you can watch me stand next to a girl I was trying to flirt with. Yes! <laughs> what was the other one? The other... <laughs> Oh my god, the other one is, um, oh, what's it called? It's with, it's The Circle with, uh, Tom Hanks and Emma Watson. Oh, And damn. Patton Oswalt and Karen Gillan. Alright, well, I'm definitely gonna have to see that in theaters now, and I don't know if I would have otherwise. Alright! Oh my god, there's so many things I want to say right now, but I know that this is going to be available to everyone in the public. But <laughs> but yes, if if you would like to, well, in the circle, you'll definitely, you know, if if you would like to see me crash and burn, right behind Emma Watson, and if you'd like to see that preserved in Hollywood history forever, for all of eternity, the circle is the movie for you. This is my favorite thing to ever happen on this podcast. <laughs> There's literally no other reason to go see that movie except for, like, the five seconds of me just... Standing just, behind Emma Watson failing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just standing behind Emma Watson and standing next to someone who later ghosted me. <laughs> like, oh, man. Oh, who else it got, that it to? got better. It got it, better. It got better. Not worse, but better. It's but, we we can say it got better. I'm at a point where it's funny to me now. Yay! <laughs> ah, time heals all wounds. But oh, God, there are so many great stories revolving around that that I can tell you off podcast. So, listeners, if you would like to know those stories, befriend Eva, for she is a great human being. Gain her trust, <laughs> and then discover her secrets. <laughs> I don't actually have like a malicious intent behind that. Just like I don't know. I just have good either. stories. Yeah, she has good stories. <laughs> um, but that is yeah, that is like legitimately my favorite thing ever. <laughs> That's does that beat me just talking down to Chris Evans's biceps? I love all of it. Okay, that was like my favorite non Chris cor- Chris non corner. It, it was beautiful. Thank you. This Thank is so this episode is going to be a, a a classic. I think you know. I think I, I didn't know, but I think this was actually your tryout to replace Kayla, and I think we've done it. <laughs> oh like, God! Could you imagine? <laughs> I know I see Kayla more than any other person on this planet, but you know what? She can go to hell <laughs> and not take this podcast with her. <laughs> so <laughs> my... I think you need to do a reaction podcast to Kayla reacting to everything I've said thus far in this podcast. <laughs> press play let me tell you a thing about chris evans okay my wife said to my husband i love my wife i love my wife but you know what sometimes sometimes she just makes me not totally happy with her which is my (laughs) normal state of being we're gonna have to go into couples therapy because i just said that i did not feel anything over chris evans holding a helicopter I hope your couple's therapy is as hilarious as Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe's and that it has the, like, it goes in the reverse direction where then you then get a movie out of it. because You know, I was just going to say that is one reality show that I would pay to watch. <laughs> Me and Kayla trying to fix a marriage that does not exist, nor is it in trouble. <laughs> All right, so 
maybe eventually moving on. I, I don't know. Like we, they're they're the nice guys somewhere in there. Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was my second recently watched because I didn't really feel like talking about like that awkward moment or anything like that, which is a thing I watched. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I we was do gonna... things for people like Michael B. Jordan that we just can't explain. And Imogen Poots. Oh, she's in that. Yeah, she's so good. Like, it's the only reason to watch that movie. I Side kept... note, she's going to be on that show, Roadies, that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. No, but and anyway. she's the best part of Green Room and so on. But uh, I was going to talk about uh, the Fulci movie, the, the Lucio Fulci movies I've been watching, which are, like, these total trash, uh, gory horror films from the 70s and 80s. I hate the... it. Yeah, exactly. No. But then no. I thought of something better, something that Eva might actually want to talk about or watch in her lifetime. Okay. Uh, and I thought of it because you were talking about a television show yourself, uh, Catastrophe. It's the uh, Catastrophe is the Amazon show starring Rob Delaney. Wait, yeah, Rob Delaney and Sharon Hogan, I believe. It is. It had a six-episode first season, recently returned for its second season. Uh, do you know anything about this show, Eva? I do not. This is literally the first I'm hearing about it. Oh, Sharon Horgan. I apologize. Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan. I was gonna um, say like Hogan as in Hulk. Like <laughs> I was very confused. So the uh, and it's a six-episode second season as well. I watched the first two episodes of the second season because uh, I watched the first season a while ago, but. The, how this show basically starts is Rob Delaney is this American businessman who goes to England, I believe, for work for a week. And he has kind of like, it starts as a one-night stand, but it turns into like this week-long affair with Sharon Horgan's character. And, uh, I believe, uh, like, she's a British woman who lives in London, I believe. Uh, she's in Britain, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so he goes back after that week, and I'm like, that was a nice week-long tryst uh, will, it will live fondly in my memory and that's the end of it but it turns out she's pregnant and he goes back to make it work and you know kind of goes from there and then with this second season uh fast forward it with the second season it hops ahead in time a little bit and they have had their second child and you know you're just kind of like living with them now and uh this show is so so funny and so smart these two are at times so contentious and say like these really like the meanest things to each other but like lovingly in the way that you know that sounds bad but like they interact like actual human beings it isn't like a whimsical uh high-minded or idealized version of how human beings act like they fight and they make up and they like the silliest things will either set them off or get them to like you know be friends again and you just legitimately believe these two people they get on each other's nerves but they really do love each other in a way that is both hilarious and feels real and one thing i couldn't quite put my finger on it but uh linda holmes from npr uh, she runs the monkey c blog and she's on the pop culture happy hour uh podcast the thing she said that she loves about this show is how much the two leads make each other laugh and that is something I hadn't really thought of. Is it's not like a the straight man and the quacky girl or vice versa. These are just two real people who are really funny and they make each other laugh. And it's just incredible. Like this show feels very much of its own with 
the way that it kind of deals with reality. And then with the second season, it's diving in more into mental health and postpartum depression because I'm only partway into it, but she doesn't feel like she loves the second child the way she loves the first child. And she just like doesn't trust it in a way. And she's just not connecting with it. And without getting personal, I guess, and also I'm not a mother, uh, but the way that this show deals with human interactions our like our own idiosyncrasies and anxieties and mental health and how it can affect life and how it's a very complicated thing that you can't just fix with one simple step or one simple process or like oh you know we like <laughs> there is and no, there is no happy ending it kind of life goes on and you thing you deal with things uh, just like it, it's it's at times both warm and life-affirming, and real, and kind of harrowing, and I, I, it's just, it's just a really incredible piece of television, and I'm glad that it has a place to exist for multiple seasons on Amazon, um, I just knew Rob Delaney, I'm pretty sure he's, like, the guy who was on Twitter, yeah, like, yeah, he was, like, the guy who made dumb Twitter jokes that all your friends retweeted, and suddenly right. got a book deal, and a tour, and all that, but the two, the two leads, like, they wrote this show together, and they star in it together, and they have incredible chemistry, and it's just, I did not expect it going in, but it's just so smart, and really unique, and god, it's just an, an incredible thing to watch. Yeah, I mean, that really reminds me of You're the Worst, which I don't know if you've seen. It's on FX. I've uh, heard great things about it. And yeah, actually, now a, that you say that, it does sound really familiar. Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, I love the trend in comedies recently to be more than just funny. Yeah. You know, to also have that depth and that warmth. And You're the Worst did a really good job of starting to dive into mental illness as well in the second season. And I'm really excited for the third season. And that was almost going to be my second recommendation, but I went with Unreal instead. But I'm glad that I found a way to still talk about it. That's true. I've forgotten. Like, You're the Worst is kind of a similar, like, unconventional relationship, quote-unquote, comedy that is also, I heard, diving into mental illness with its second season. That's, huh, what an interesting parallel. Yeah, the third season comes out in August. And, like, the thing that's so great about You're the Worst is that you go from laughing out loud to being like, oh my god, this is heartbreaking, and then they bring you right back to laughing again, and it's done in a very genuine way. It's not, like, offensive. Like, Gretchen's depression is not used as, like, the laughing point. Like, when you feel bad for her, you feel, you know, I don't want to say feel bad because that sounds like pity, but you feel for her, and that's very real. And then she makes you laugh, and that's also very real. So I I love the I love the direction that comedies on television are starting to, you know, kind of head towards. And it's I know I I basically just praised the nice guys for being mostly funny, even though I had other things going for it. But yeah, I just God I love that show, and I'm glad I I'm glad that you gave me a chance to talk about that because as much as I can enjoy some some Fulci movies. Uh, this is a it's a much more rewarding experience. Well, yeah, Although, and there's a very there's different experience. You can do a different thing too, but yeah. 
Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with something being just funny. Like, I don't oh. want to, like, especially after I was just saying that, like, it's refreshing to have a show that, like, doesn't make me cry all the mm-hmm. time, like, and doesn't stress me out. Like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a show being just funny, but I think there's also nothing, like, I love dramedy, yeah. you know, that that perfect cross between, you know, drama and comedy, because no life is ever just one thing. You know, and I like the, I think when shows can strike that balance, it's great. And I also think Parenthood did that really well. So, Ah, so I mean, like, yes, there's a time and a place for something that's just funny. And there's a time and a place for something that's just, you know, heavy and depressing and dark. But I think there also needs to be a lot more of that middle ground. And I'm happy that we're starting to see it. Now that we've talked about that middle ground and things that aren't uh, just funny, per se, let's talk about a thing that's just funny. Let's hit the extreme. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. A picture so stunning in its effect, so vast in its impact, that it profoundly affects the lives of all who see it. One such film is... Very good, thank you. Yes, thank you. Next, please. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. Uh, Yes, thank you. Next. What's wrong with my voice? My voice is alright, my brain is wrong. Monty Python and the Holy Grail is the 1975 film from the Monty Python uh, comedy group, also known as Monty Python's Flying Circus, or at least our TV show was. And that group was John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, Graham Chapman, and Terry Gilliam. Uh, this was their second movie for the troupe, though they called it their first quote-unquote proper movie. And it's the second of five that they did. This uh, this was followed by The Life of Brian, which we'll also be talking about as it's on the 250. Although I haven't seen that one yet, actually. But basically, Monty Python the Holy Grail is this sketch, <laughs> just a series of interrelated sketches that are pretty hilarious and some of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. It was made on a small budget raised by, like, British bands, the number I found was 229,000 pounds, and then in American dollars, I guess it was about $400,000, and it made $5 million, so it was a smashing success. Damn. Yeah. Nailed uh, it. <laughs> Hashtag They really crushed it. it. They really crushed it. Um, actually, almost all of them are still alive today, except for Graham Chapman, who died of cancer in 1989, which is a bummer. And they're all still working, a lot in voice roles, especially John Cleese. But Terry Gilliam, I think, is maybe the most interesting member because he's gone on... He was he and Terry Jones directed The Holy Grail. I think it was their first time directing a movie. But uh, he's gone on to direct like kind of modern classics, like or at least some of the most interesting, bigger movies we've had. But uh, Brazil, Fisher King... 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, some really big roles for Robin Williams and uh, Johnny Depp. And 
what an interesting career that guy's had. I like to deep dive into that. But they called Monty Python the Beatles of comedy, which works because it was around, it was you know similar time, and there were group of young white British men, but, you know. <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> and that's about where those similarities yep, are. Yep, that's about it. I don't know, I'm try- <laughs> trying to find my way to tangent. Okay, here. Like, so, uh, they started with their TV show, Monty Python's Flying Circus, where they were very unconventional, playing around with the credits and ending scenes weirdly, and with weird, like, stop-motion animation stuff, and that translated into the movie that we saw, which kind of broke me when i saw it in in high school because i what the hell is this yeah. <laughs> it is to this day still one of the most ridiculous things i have ever seen but easily i more so than when i was a kid because i don't know maybe my mind has evolved or something maybe i'm dumber now who knows this it's just so funny it's uh, like exactly it just it's simply funny. Like, it's not, like, it's, it's not stupid comedy, which I love. Although it makes, I think some, some, it, it makes some use of some dumb stuff, but it's actually really cool. Well, it, it yeah. does, but I think a lot of times, like, silly movies tend to also be stupid, and I hmm. don't think that this movie goes down that road. I think that this is just goofy. True. It is the insanely goofy but as is noted in like when we're talking about the monarchy and politics while digging through the mud uh, really really smart i think it's amazing how they used the low budget to be part of the comedy like they clearly could not afford horses so they all just galloped and had a guy slapping coconuts together like throughout the entire movie and, like, to me, that's that's the funniest part about that movie to me, is that gag, like, without the horses. I don't know why it cracks me up as much as it does, but just thinking about it, I'm holding back tears because I'm laughing so hard. And they, they keep it going throughout, right up until they run into the bunny when they dismount from their horse. That's the best part. It's, and oh, my God. I'm, I'm a real sucker for stuff that breaks the fourth wall, and I love when it does kind of call itself out in this movie but i also like that they only do it occasionally or they only hint at it and that the the characters are taking us very seriously yeah that's i mean that's the other thing it has going for it they really you it's oh my god it's just so fucking funny it's like let's just (sighs) let's just spend the next hour just quoting from this movie it'll be incredible oh my god well and i like one of the Again, speaking about the low budget, like, I love that they don't shy away from the fact that, like, to sta- to cut the guy's arm off, he just taps it with the sword and it falls. Like, like I love that they did nothing to try and hide, like, how little money was involved in this production. Ooh, Lancelot fighting his way through the castle, <laughs> just yes. smacking people with the sword. It's, oh. I think, I think what kind of... I think that's what kind of broke me about it when I saw it in high school is I couldn't quite reckon with the fact that this movie's really smart while being so ridiculous. Um, yes, that's exactly it. Both in the actual things they're talking about, so when they get into like the velocity of the African versus the yeah. English swallow, 
right. or or politics and all that to just the way that they bring back the swallow and that even though it's like this disjointed barely connected uh series of things that there are a large number of things that call back to each other and that there had to have been a lot of thought going into this <laughs> Oh, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why I was saying it's not a stupid movie. It's not just, like, dumb shit happening left and right. Like, they even make the joke of mixing up three and five, like, multiple times. There are so many things that are just common threads holding the movie together. And it's it's the most genius piece of hilarity that I've seen in a very long time. It's just so bizarrely wonderful. And as... The thing is, even when you start talking about how like they have the really smart, the really smart comedy in there, then you get something like the Knights of Me, which is yeah, me. I mean, uh, <laughs> which is just an incredible piece of absurdist nonsense that I will, I am so on board with. I, it's I mean to me that's like it's like the uh, the seagulls in Finding Nemo, like it's just dumb fun. I. So I have I have not seen this movie in a couple years, and I, I've in that time I've heard so many comedians talk about how much of a formative experience it was for them, and how hilarious it was, and like what a big thing this was for everyone. And man, rewatching it, I get it because it's because it is so its own thing, and and man, it it kind of reminds me of watching certain shows like when they first aired, like the first season of Community and things like that where it's just, I have not seen anything like this before, and I didn't know you could do this. Well, and, yeah, and to think, I mean, this came out in the 70s, and there's still nothing like it. Yeah, it's still, like, you still watch it and think, Man, how the hell do they get away with that? Like, I don't know why this movie works, and I don't know why, like, I don't <laughs> understand it, but I also understand that I'm not supposed to understand it. Like, I think that's half the fun is just sitting there being like, what am I watching right now? And this is one of those things, too, where, like, it's impossible to put ourselves back in that time because, like, it was a cultishly loved tele comedy group television series that had tours and went on a book and all that. Like, I have no way of really understanding, reliving what it was like to be in Britain when this was happening. Like, yeah. is this, like... The like the love around the Colbert report, like is it the Colbert report? I apologize. Um, uh, what is is it like? Is it like something like that, or was it even bigger? Like, did it take over the whole country? Like, that's just like you can read about it, but it's kind of a hard thing to know. Man, I it's also an interesting. So I guess I'm already diving into kind of its place on the 250, but. I'm try uh, so we talk about the 250 a lot and the kind of movies that are on there and Monty Python both really fits because I don't know it's it's something that'll appeal to the audience of the 250 which is like you know young white men uh, <laughs> but it's also very different from all the other movies and it's like there are very few comedies on the list or if they are yeah. comedies they're like you know, 40s, 50s things, or Charlie Chapman, or something like that. I just love how beloved those movies are, and that even on this list of very serious dramas and Pixar movies, for the most part, that there's a certain uh, corner for the of love for those movies that are just so singular. And, man, how do you even compare a movie like Monty Python, The Holy Grail, 
to other movies that are considered like the greatest of all time. Like it's one thing to con- compare like a standard comedy, like I don't know, like an Apatow thing or something like that to dramas or other serious movies, but something like this that is so absurd. How do you, I don't know, just like the, the very idea of ranking this or rating this movie at all is almost absurd to me because how do you compare this to anything? Yeah, I mean, this is clearly its own thing. And, like, to try and say, like, okay, where do I put this in comparison to, like, Schindler's List is, like, like, how, how do you do that? Like, it's, this is just so in its own world, and I am so grateful to yeah. be living in it. So I, I, I uh, dabble in CinemaSin sometimes. They started a podcast, and I was listening to one of those, and they're talking about their favorite movies from every year going forward. And they talked about, I believe they talked about 1975 and I can't remember what the other movie from 1975 was, but it's like, I don't know, like a Scorsese movie or something or Jaws or something like that versus Monty Python. I'm like, how do you even pick a favorite movie from that grouping of things? Like, I, I guess this is getting away from Monty Python and more into just the way that we consume films and all that. And yeah. just, it kind of, points out the absurdity of this whole podcast to begin with. Well, yeah, <laughs> the whole like, venture that this podcast is based on. Yeah, and I mean, I tend to be very uncomfortable with ranking things outside of, like, yes, I really like this, because <laughs> it's like, how can you... I have a hard time trying to consider the weight of, like... So let's take this in comparison to Room, because I was just, shameless plug, I was just on the podcast talking about Room. But it's like, how can you hold one against the other when they aim to do two completely different things? Mm-hmm. And, like, like, how, like, I don't understand how you can really sit down and say that one is better than the other, or try and say that, like... They're, because they inspire two diff- very different feelings, and how do you determine which one of those is more important or more valuable? Like, I, I, I don't know, I just get stressed thinking about it. Yeah, and granted, I am a total hypocrite, and but I also enjoy digging, digging into the even more meta aspect of a lot of people, a lot of critics and all that, will kind of call out the absurdity of this whole enterprise, but because of how like entertainment and internet culture and all that is constructed... Even if you think it's absurd to rate things or put things up against each other and compare them, it's kind of you how everything is driven, and you kind of have to do that. Like, I rank films on Letterbox. I put lists together on Letterbox. I do this very thing. And yet, this movie kind of makes me feel like an idiot for all of that. Yeah, like, this, this just so wholeheartedly stands on its own. It's And how many other things, you know, whether it be movie, TV show album whatever how many things can you truly say that about and you know what i like eva i like that this shows that even if you don't have a budget and you can't and you can't just dazzle the public with all your special effects and exploding buildings you can still create an even better movie just by being smart and writing a good script you know well and also taking (laughs) well and taking the disadvantages and turning them into advantages yeah i think oh man i that like, if they, had, if they could have afforded thing. horses, mm-hmm. it would have removed one of the funniest parts of the movie. And, you know, I think that is, like, kind of the basis for the most interesting trivia about a lot of movies, is taking, like, 
is rolling with the punches, not fitting, you know, not not using the same old phrases and fitting a round square, a round, a round peg into a square hole or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think adapt. It's it's kind of shows the importance of adaptability in anything really, because usually we don't we can't usually like it isn't so obviously on the screen like when you're using coconuts for your horses but even with like other movies we talk about uh just kind of adapting or uh being able to adapt it to the strengths of the actors you have because while i always find it interesting the uh kind of the debate between oh who really makes the product is it the we talk about actors all the time but it's people behind the camera doing all the work and I don't know the marriage of those things is more interesting, and though most movies can't play adapt the way that this movie did, um, they could kind of it it, it it went off the rails. But just it's I, I don't okay, know. I still like you. <laughs> this is a hard movie to talk about because it is so much just jokes, and you can only say that this movie is funny so many times without going. Remember, remember when they said, "I'm not quite oh, dead." Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go for a walk, I think, you know, but um, it's so easy just to quote the movie. But I don't know. I I like picking out weird things. That's the thing that stuck out to me is that the adapt like they had to adapt to their budget and so often and maybe not so much adapt to their actors because acting is not the most important right. thing here. Whereas other movies kind of explore that in more subtle ways adapting to their actors maybe if you're like doing the nice guys and you have russell crowe and ryan gosling maybe you know adapting things to fit them i don't know Ugh, but yeah well one of i mean one of the other things that i always think about when i watch comedies you know recently is um will ferrell was on the off-camera show with sam jones which i brought up in the last podcast as well mm-hmm. um and they were talking about elf and yeah. he was saying there were times where he was just like, is this going to work? Like, is this just going to ruin my career? And he said they, you know, when it was a success, you know, it was this great moment. And he was saying how so much of comedy is making an educated guess. Something can be funny, like, in the moment and not translate well or the other way around. And it's like you have to wonder how much of this they were just like kind of rolling the dice and like crossing their fingers and being like, well, this is either going to work or it's not. Man, I don't even know how people make comedies, whether it be something that's really loose and anarchic like this or whether it's, you know, like Elf, which very much has a script and all this stuff. Like we talk so much about dramas and dramas get so many of the awards. And I think I've railed about this on the podcast already. But comedy seems like the most difficult thing, especially to fit into a box, because it's not just, like, God, because you have to write jokes and then also perform the jokes and know how the audience is going to react to the jokes and then have all these hundreds of jokes in a movie and fit them together into something coherent, into something that works. And, man, God, making comedy is just so impressive. And really... More so than a drama, like in a drama, even if it doesn't work, it can have all the set dressing and you'll have something like people will talk about this with certain TV shows like, uh, like, I don't know, like certain HBO shows or AMC, you know, golden age shows that aren't quite up to the level of something like Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Like they're missing that something, but they have all the set dressing. So they'll still have plenty of fans and like, 
you'll you'll watch and you'll still get the same idea. When a comedy isn't funny, there's nothing really. It's really hard to have any redeeming qualities in a comedy yeah. if it's not funny. Right. And so, really, it's like the highest. It's like the highest ceiling and the lowest floor anything can have. It's like the biggest risk reward thing you can make. You can do in making movies is making a comedy. Especially as a sketch comedy. Like, what if this movie wasn't that funny? It would have just, like, disappeared into the ether like it had never been. Yeah. And, I don't know. Like, and I think that could be a way to attack talking about a movie besides just saying it's funny. Like, what if it hadn't been funny? Right. Funny is, like, really all many movies, like, comedies have. Yeah, I mean, I... I just talked myself. <laughs> I know, I'm just, like, trying to process everything you just said. I'm like, what? That just got so deep. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, like, it's... This movie feels like... It's so hard to think of this movie as having been a gamble because yeah. it's just so successful at what it sets out to do. Like, it's hard to imagine that, you know, there were probably people who... You know, we're trying to edit this, and we're like, man, I don't know. This might not work. Like, it's... See, they might have had the advantage, because they had the TV show, and then they started making the movies, I'm pretty sure. So maybe that helped, in that it was kind of just like a bigger version of what they were doing. But Well, plus maybe... you're already rooting for them. Like, it's similar to when, you know, the cast members of Saturday Night Live start to break out. Yeah. Like, Kate McKinnon is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Like, these people who are so funny on Saturday Night Live, and then they get their first movie role, and you're automatically invested because you've seen, you know, so much of what they can do, and you become, you know, invested in what they have to offer, and you just get excited about it. And I would assume that a little bit of that is what happened with this movie. Yeah. And also, I said it with a dumb voice, kind of mocking it before, but it really does show the importance of writing. Because when you think about it, Wow, that was what a douchey thing to say when you think about it. But so, for example, uh, everybody loves Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, but some, but when they work together, it's kind of lesser when they, than what they usually do. Or even when you have people you love in other in other movies, and it could be your favorite actor in the whole world, but it's just not that funny. And I think with comedy, it shows even more the kind of how important the writing can be. Where even if you have all these great people involved, if the writing isn't on point, it can all fall apart. I mean, for us, we don't really know these guys. Like, they all kind of look vaguely similar, if not the same. <laughs> uh, especially since it's not like HD quality, recording quality we're dealing with. Um, but even if you put, like, delivery and all that stuff is really important. And I think their delivery is kind of incredible of a lot of these lines. But it really shows that uh, how much writing goes into comedy and just it's like one part like you need the people who can deliver the lines, but you also have to have the lines in the first place. And then even beyond that, you need the synergy of the right lines, but also the right person. I don't know. I just think I feel I just feel like I'm going to keep going off on the tangent of like, how the well, fuck you do you make this movie? You, you need the physicality. Also, like yeah. so much of comedy is physical for me, at least. And it's like you can stand there and deliver a line or you mm -hmm. can like deliver it with your whole body. And that changes everything. And these guys having worked together before and having been on a sketch. So I think really sells it because 
the performance like the performances don't really don't didn't always stand out to me but god the line delivery of some of this stuff is really incredible and i hadn't noticed it before because i don't know maybe because it wasn't ryan gosling delivering the lines but <laughs> just the way that they say some of these things is kind of bring out your dad well yeah and it's like the guy you know the french guy on the castle oh like, my that's, god I mean, it's it's so classic for for, for no reason. Like, it's just great. Eva, I hope you appreciate that. How how narrowly you avoided me beginning this podcast with an awful French accent. Oh, I Whoa. I came fully prepared for you to not sound like yourself for this entire thing. I'm genuinely impressed right now. These. Thank you for listening to Letter FM Zin. Oh, Jesus. Your podcast on the IMDb 250. You sound like a rejected Disney character. <laughs> to be fair, did the guy on the wall not also sound like a rejected Disney character? See, yes, he just had the benefit of also having... It? Yeah, but and he also had the eyebrows and also was able to visually just pat his head weirdly for some reason. Well, I don't and know again, why he kept patting his head. And again, he had good writing to like prop up the bad accent. So, and I like how I went like I went from talking about how how important the writing is, just saying, man, the delivery though. How about that delivery? <laughs> it's hard not to be all over the place with this because this movie is literally all over the place. It really is. So, like, I don't I, really know how how to like have a structured conversation about it. Well, here's a way to drill down a little bit. I guess what <laughs> let's go very easy and simplistic. What is your favorite oh. like part of the movie or your favorite scene or your favorite bit? Like what oh, what do God. you really cherish in your heart when you go forward after seeing this movie? I mean, it's easily like the horses and the coconuts like that. <laughs> I, I wish I could put into words what like why that, just tickles me the way that it does but it's it's just so absurd like it's just the funniest thing for no reason and it's through the whole movie and everyone does it and it like from the get-go you when like that opening scene when you know it's king arthur and the guy with the coconuts like you just know immediately what you're getting into like you see that and you're just like oh god and it's it's just so effortlessly and distinctly funny. Like I can't I I can't put it into words. I just think it's the funniest thing ever. See, I like the gallows humor. So uh, I, that, the, that surprised me. What are you? How dare you? I just <laughs> know you. I know you. I know what you like. Ah, uh, death humor in the face of death is really all I have in life. Yeah. <laughs> But from the bring out your dad to how do you know he's a king? He's the one not covered in shit. Shit. Like, I really like when they point out how awful the Middle Ages must have been. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and again, the whole, like, the whole mixing up the threes and the fives thing also just cracks me up because there's no reason why that should be funny. And, oh, God. But it just is. I think my fa- my first favorite joke from this movie was the bridge, though. <laughs> yeah. The trivia nature of it. The, the Just really turning the tables like, what's your name? What's your quest? What's your favorite color? Yeah. 
<laughs> what is the square root of pi to the 20th decimal? Uh, it's, it's just so, like, they pick the best times to be obviously smart. Yeah, the the nerdy, like, oh, the nerdiest people on the planet are making this movie, I see. Yeah, it's 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 just a pleasure to know that this movie exists and can and like you can turn it on at any point and it's just as funny as it was if you started from the beginning. That's the thing. A lot of old comedies don't hold up quite as well because when you deal with because the culture has changed a lot. So if anything was, you know, maybe a little racist or homophobic back in the day, it's really racist and homophobic now. Like even yeah. re even rewatching, uh, like less so than with other things, probably because Shane Black is smart. But even some of the stuff in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Gay Perry was just like, damn, I don't know if they'd make this movie now with quite the same tenor. But... Yeah, it's we're just in a different place right now, which is, <laughs> I it's a I know that a lot of people think it's a bad thing, but I think it's a good thing that we care about this stuff more. And but one... back to your original point, that doesn't really exist in this movie. And I mean. I think that's a good thing because whenever people get mad about something, find a different word, find a different joke. It like forces you to get more creative. It makes me think of like how sometimes you get really great things out of really shitty situations or terrible budgets or whatever. Cause sometimes when you have resistance that keeps you from getting super indulgent, like me on this podcast, when Kayla reigns me in, sometimes <laughs> the thing is better for having someone going, eh, hold up, hold up. Maybe, maybe try that again. Different take, maybe a different line, different word. <laughs> it it just forces you to be more creative, and I like we we see that in the limitations of this budget, and I think that works in the way that we embrace humor today. <laughs> they're they're just yeah. different kinds of rather than worrying about the kinds of humor that have been lost, maybe focusing on the new kinds of humor we have now. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think that it's. I think in 2016, if your comedy is based on stereotypes of marginalized people, you're just being lazy. I think we can do better, and I think a lot of people have proven that it's pretty easy to do better, and it's funnier to do better. And I I just think it's, I get so, I roll my eyes at like lazy, racist, homophobic, transphobic comedy because it's, there are so many ways to make like there are so many funny gay jokes that aren't mean. It's no, like no. so so find those. Like it's not it's not that hard. I really do believe that it's just people being lazy because they know it'll get a cheap laugh and it's done. Like it's I I just think it's so much funnier when people, you know, don't do that. <laughs> like like aside from it just being unnecessary and, you know, mean spirited and everything, I think you know, it's just this, I think it's smarter to not fall on that. And this movie can be a nice example of that. Like, there's a reason this movie can hold up, and it's yeah. still funny to this day. And there are many types of humor. It's, like, not just nerdy stuff. There's a lot of silly stuff, dumb stuff, goofy stuff, smart stuff. Um, This is getting really grand. Like, this is very specific, and I might cut it out. But, um... Yeah. So many of the ways you can still make jokes about, like, race or, se or sex or gender or sexual preference and all that is by not making the butt of the joke the person, like, ma not making the butt of the joke the person who was maybe victimized or right. the very fact that the person is the thing. Um, 
being smart about it basically but uh, i guess what i was just gonna finish with is yeah it's cool that this that that was a thought i hadn't even had going into this movie that this can kind of be an example to point to of how you can make comedy that is timeless uh, well that is both referential of things that happened in the time that deals with maybe current topics but can also be timeless that can be maybe sometimes edgy but without being offensive in ways yeah. that will offend future generations um, no i agree yeah that, that like that wasn't even a topic i was going to get into this movie but it's very it's a topic that's important to us that it's not a big deal that you have to find another word or make a different joke yeah i mean i i noticed it throughout the movie like it was i was very aware of that it was like oh this isn't like mean yeah like ever like but it can be dated in a fun way it's not like you have to turn your brain off to watch something right it's not like listening to eddie murphy comedy now and you're just like oh eddie why do you hate gay people so much why man i didn't even, i didn't even talk about how like certain how pe- comedy is an interesting place where you have people fall off more so than you do in other areas and we can't i guess we can't really look at the monty python guys for that but it just kind of points out how different difficult comedy is where Maybe not Adam Sandler, but guys like Owen Wilson or Vince Vaughn or Ben Stiller, even from Zoolander to Zoolander too. Like it's like for some reason it just seems like sometimes in comedy people lose it. Like I don't know if it's when you become satisfied with life, you can't find the hu- the humor and the darkness of it, or what. But it is interesting that comedy seems to really have a steep cliff to it, and it's hard well, and to I, call back from. Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes back to what we were talking about comedy very much changes and what people find funny and like what people are willing to laugh at changes so i think they you know it i think it's just kind of ebbs and flows like i don't know they like in 10 years who knows what we're gonna think of amy schumer like i think that's a really good example of like comedy that's very specifically for the times and, like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to hold up of hers in 10 years. That is a very interesting, specific example. Um, I hadn't thought of Amy Schumer, but, yeah, that is definitely someone who might look very different in 10 years. Yeah. Not, like, her her humor, her comedy now might look very different in 10 years. Yeah, like, um, she might be making different comedy in 10 years. The stuff that's coming out now might look very different in 10 years. And I'm not saying that in, like, a... No, I, I guess I am being a little critical. Um, it's <laughs> Well, no, because she falls into a lot of the, you know, white feminist, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know enough about her to really go too far down that road. But I do think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, she's kind of a big part of the whole, like, you know, quote unquote, unladylike comedy movement. And I'm very curious to see how we talk about her in the future yeah <laughs> i know um i don't want to talk like i don't want to speak from kayla's perspective too much and but i know she has been not a big fan of amy schumer at all in the past but she's kind of become the spearhead of not even just like bet like what, what what did you call it like bad woman or what's like unladylike unladylike yeah comedy like, unlady-like or whatever. comedy she's kind of become the spearhead for women being able to lead headline films bridesmaids was kind of like that but that was also ensemble which is related but yeah with Trainwreck especially amy schumer is the 
that like she shouldn't be the only person who is considered to be like the the one woman who can save blockbuster films or whatever. Well, like, yeah, that's it's ridiculous like it has to exist in the first place. But. Yeah, and like, you know, this movie that she's doing with Jennifer Lawrence, you know, they've come out and they've said, you know, this movie won't be politically correct. And it's like, you want a medal for that or something? Like, okay, if I want to watch an unpolitically correct movie, there are thousands of those out there. Like, it's, and like, I don't need that. Like, I want better. Also, politically correct has become one of those things where, like, find a better way to get across what you're trying to say because that can mean so many different things. Yeah, just tell me that your movie's going to offend, you know, people that are different from you. Like, that's all you need yeah. to say, and or, I'll know exactly what you're talking about. Or you about. can even say you're, like, like, I mean, you can soften it and say, we're going to push some boundaries, or you can say, like, I don't know, we're going to go there. Like, politically correct puts that, like, this yeah, It's a very political thing, but it really puts the onus on the people who are being offended or like, the yeah. people, like, well, and that's and, why people use it the way that they do. And I'm not saying like the, that other people should put the onus on themselves. The, oh, maybe they should, but I don't know. Like it just the politically correct is such a scapegoat phrase. Like, Oh, this is the phrase they'll use so that it's almost like to excuse yourself. Like, Oh, it feels very, it feels very condescending to me at this point. It's not my fault. You're so political. It is condescending. It's like, it's the shortcut to getting to excusing yourself by saying, Oh, you just want me to be politically correct. No, we just want you to not be a dick. Yeah. It's, I'm very interested to see how, you know, some of the people who are seen as, like, edgy and, like, pushing the boundaries yeah. now. Or, you know, what are we going to think of them? Even in five years. I, like, like, think about when Lena Dunham first hit the scene compared yeah. to now. Like, and, that changed so fast. And even being mean or edgy, I still think there's a place for being mean and edgy. You just have to be smart. Like, you you might have to put a little... You probably have to put more effort into your comedy if you're going to deal with, like, these edge things. I, I uh, guess we should, uh wrap up yeah we could probably wrap up uh (laughs) i feel like we talked a lot of things tangential to the movie but the movie really just comes down to it's really funny it still holds up to this day and is um like if i (laughs) was if i watched a comedy from each decade like this one might be the funniest one probably just i think i could agree with that but you know i think that is uh, my Python on the Holy Grail. And let's move into some recommendations. Let's do it. Uh, Eva, what is your recommendation? I'm going to say The Princess Bride. Ooh, that is a good pick. That is pro- pretty... It's my favorite movie. Um, it's... I think it... I mean, no one does what Monty Python does. Like, end of story. But this is a very silly movie. It's inoffensive. It's just funny and it's fun to watch. And uh, like, I love movies in that vein. I think Stardust is also kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I say The Princess Bride is a good follow up. It's a little bit more structured. It's a little bit more scripted, but it's also very fun and at times completely absurd. That is a really good recommendation. I um, nail it every time. You know, Oh, man. I, I wasn't sure I was going to go with this one because it's super recent, but I just think it might be the one I'm going to have to do. 
I already mentioned it in this podcast, but uh, Keanu, it is... So it's it's a movie that feels like a series of sketches and it comes from guys who originally had their start, well, who first really hit it off on television doing sketch comedy. And man, it's just a really fun, funny movie. Came out this year. I hope you gave it money. Uh, It's not you personally, Eva, but just like the world in general. Yeah, I'm not gonna see Keanu. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> the the Princess Bride is a much that that is oh man, it feels of the time too, and it was like and it's a on favorite. Netflix now. Yeah, and it's also on the IMDb 250. It is, but unfortunately, I won't be talking about it. Oh man, oh, burn! Uh... Don't get me started on tricks. They changed the colors. They're not shaped like fruit anymore. Motherfuckers! <sighs> when did this happen? Oh. So my stat of the week, or my stat on the IMDb 250 is that each movie has one through three genre listings for it. Um, Comedy is a nice throw-in that gets used a lot, and there are 42 movies currently listed on the IMDb 250 right now, this day, in 2016, that have at least one of those tags being comedy. Now, because of, like... You know, we talk about dramedies and all that. Some of those aren't necessarily, like, straight-up comedies, but because it could include animation, it can include this, it can include, like, I don't know, something like... I'm like, I'm sure if... You know what? Let's check. I bet... I bet Shane Black's movies are also listed as... Com- well, those are straight-up comedies. But anyways, comedy is a very uh, loose term, and there are 42 movies that bear it, which come out to about 100 and not 100 wow i'm doing super well right now which comes out to about 17 percent of the 250 and i'm not sure if that seems like a lot or not interesting yeah when you consider each one has three genres but yeah that is our show this week that's it eva thanks for joining me Thanks for talking about movies and television shows and feelings and, you know, people who are way better than Chris Evans. Anytime. It's my pleasure. We have some exciting episodes coming up featuring return guests, many of many of the podcast favorites, talking about some movies that are sometimes funny, sometimes sad, sometimes dramatic. You know, the way that movies tend to be one of those many things. Um, in the meantime... Do the thing that Kayla usually tells everyone to do that are memorized right now. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, uh, Letterbox, SoundCloud, iTunes. You know what? I'm just going to say just subscribe on iTunes. Maybe leave a review. Maybe go follow us on SoundCloud if you got a SoundCloud. Like us on Facebook. Tweet at me. That's almost all of them already. All right. Before this goes further off the rails, and we kept it on the rails for so long, we now did we so are, well. We're careening down a cliffside, just heading towards the bottom of the canyon. Just, man, there's not even, like, a pool of water to catch us. It's just going to crash and burn. This has been Let the Right Films In. Thank you for listening. Jurassic World is a terrible movie. and always will be. We'll see you at the parents' conference. Keep it cute, y'all.
this. So I bought an avocado for like tomorrow and some ice cream because I was just done with what was happening today. And then I was like, fuck it. You know what? I am going to go to Taco Bell. So I go to Taco Bell and from the street, it didn't look like there were any people. But when I got to the drive-thru, there were four cars. And then the worst part and this is, I'm, I'm so mad. Okay, so Tyler always makes fun of me for saving all of the Taco Bell salsa. Because he's like, it's stupid. And he made me throw away my stash of verde salsa. We, it was everywhere. And guess what? Was... Guess what, Tyler? The How verde salsa is discontinued. So now I don't have any of my stockpiled verde salsa because you made me throw it away. This is the greatest oh, tragedy that's God. ever happened. Oh no, I lost Eva. Oh god! Oh god! She's gone! Eva!